0: I'm going to try to go quick this one. I know we've done a little bit a little bit extra stuff today. When I was growing up, one of my favorite athletes was Muhammad Ali. Now, actually, it switched after a period of time I kind of got he kind of got old and I got uh or his stick got old and I got kind of tired of him, but 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 when I was younger, I loved to watch boxing and I loved Muhammad Ali and Muhammad Ali was known for a lot of different sayings, a lot of different things, but one of the things that he said that that was kind of his moniker, and, and when he would, would be on TV with Howard Cosell, this is one of the things he would talk about, but he would say this, I am the, does anyone know what he would say then? Greatest. I am the greatest. Now, part of that was his sale. That part of that was him marketing himself, but I think he also believed it as well. I believe that that he thought when he got in the ring, he was the greatest boxer of all time. He was the greatest you stop and think about it. Don't don't all of us a little bit want to at least think like Muhammad Ali, we want to be the greatest. Whether it's whether it's uh, in, in school, we we want to be the greatest. We want to to achieve the greatest. Whether it's a job, we want to to achieve the best that we can. But all of us want to to, to have that sense of being great. Whether wh- whether it's in our job, whether it's through school, whether it's in our family, whether it's in our community. We want to be the greatest and Jesus followers were no different. They, they fell prey to this concept and this idea of, man, we want to be great. If you have your Bibles, look with me in Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. We're just going to look at the first six verses. We're going to look at, look at two simple things that Jesus tells us that these, that Jesus describes as two simple ways that If we want to be great, if we want to be able to say, I am the greatest, uh, of course, actually, as you read this, you probably figure you're not supposed to say that. But but Jesus gives us two simple things that we can do and follow. Look with me in Matthew 18. And in starting with verse 1, it says this: At at that time the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now they they probably weren't asking uh, uh, about other people. It wasn't like, okay, was Moses the greatest or was Abraham the greatest? They they might have veiled the question thinking maybe Jesus could take it either way. Really what they were asking was, okay, Jesus, us 12, we're the 12 inner circle. We're the followers. We're the apostles. Who's the greatest? Or you, you go ahead and decide which one of us, which one of us gets labeled the greatest. So Jesus called a, a little child. And I had him stand among them, and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change, it's going to be our first thought, first thing Jesus says we have to do, we have to change. Unless you change, become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles, there's a second thing, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me, but if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have... A large millstone hung around his neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. Who is the greatest? This, this question that they ask Jesus came, came in part out of the events, uh, in chapter 17. So if you want to take some time later on or if you're going to get bored of the sermon, then you can go back and read chapter 17. I won't, I will not be offended. But, but the events of chapter 17 kind of led up to them asking this question now it doesn't give us uh uh, details but but it's not hard to kind of figure it out early in the chapter the start of chapter 17 we have the story of the uh of jesus being trans uh transformed and transfigured and and when he went up on the mountain for that to happen that special moment he invited peter and james and john so so they had the 12 and jesus called off three of them and 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 quite honestly if you follow through the New Testament, these guys ended up in, in special leadership positions. They, they were a special breed and, but he, he calls these three to go up on the mountain with him and they saw this, this cool event. And then, then right before uh, chapter 18 starts, the end of chapter 17, someone asked Jesus about a, a paying the temple tax. And, and, and so Jesus ends up telling Peter, he says, Peter, go, go and throw a line into the... Into the lake, and and when you catch the fish, or or the first fish that you catch, look in that mouth, the mouth of that fish, and you'll find a two drachma coin. And they said, "Go and pay the temple tax for me, and for you." So that's kind of what had had happened. So so what I believe was going on, I, I think it was kind of kind of obvious here. Was as they were traveling along, they were walking. Peter probably went up to James and John and said, "Hey guys, it's pretty obvious, isn't it?" We're the inner circle. James, John, me. We, we, and I think Peter was the the the, the gang, uh, the head of the gang on this. I think Peter was the one talking. Said, "Hey, we, we are the special ones. Jesus pulled us up on that was cool up on that mountain, wasn't it? Man, that, Moses was there. Like, well, that was a, a fantastic. So imagine Peter said, "Hey, hey, hey, we're going to be the special ones." And then I have a feeling Peter went on to say, "Well, and and it's obvious that I'm going to be the top dog." But I'll make sure you guys get the credit you should get. I'll make sure everyone respects you. Now, now, if you've read scripture, you know. Uh, uh, well, in fact, let me just ask. Does anyone remember what the, the nickname for James and John was? James, sons of thunder. I don't think that was just like a fancy nickname. That's because they had they had an attitude. They they got upset easily. They blew up. They had that a temper. So I, I have a feeling when Peter said, "Hey, it's obvious that I'm going to be the main when you guys are two and three that these sons of thunder began to debate with Peter and when they began to debate with Peter then the other nine probably heard what was going on and and that's why they came to Jesus it says the disciples i think it was probably Peter but but i think they they came to Jesus and they said hey hey Jesus who's going to be the greatest now, now you you're the greatest Jesus we know that but but after you Who's going to be the top dog? Who's going to be the best one? Jesus, who's in charge? Now right before this this discussion, Jesus had just talked about uh, over in verse 22. Jesus had just predicted that he was going to go to to uh, Jerusalem and he was going to be crucified and he was going to die. And the passage says that they that they were filled with grief when Jesus said that they Oh, they were upset by it, but they got over it real quick when they started talking about their place in the kingdom and how they were going to be great. And, and so in light of Jesus trying to get them to understand what his kingdom was about, we see what he does in this text. He he illustrates. That's what Jesus did best. See, Jesus was talking about dying, and and they wanted to talk about details. Who's going to be first? Jesus was talking about sacrifice and they want to talk about self. How, how, how am I going to be taken care of? Jesus was talking about grace, and they want to talk about greatness. So, so he pointed out two simple things. He said, first of all, greatness requires change. Look at verse 3, and he said, I tell you the truth, after he pulled this child up in front of him, he says, I tell you the truth, unless you change, unless you change and become like little children, you won't be a part of the kingdom. Greatness requires change. I had a professor in college named Nofel. State. Nofel was uh, back in the 70s um, uh, when I was in college. And yes, for any of you that didn't know, I am old. And that's why uh, I was in college in the 70s. And uh, uh, and I even remember uh, most of it, not because I was doing drugs or anything like that. I was in Bible college. I didn't go to Manhattan Christian College. So i oh sorry. Sorry about that, Eric. I, just kidding. I had a little jab there. Uh, but that's been a lot of years ago. I can't even do the math on that. Someone want to figure that out and tell me how many years ago 1976 was. Anyone? 42? Yeah, that's what I thought. So, uh, uh, so, so long time ago in, when, when I was in college, I had this professor, Noful, it, but I remember this story that Noful told. He was a, a college professor, wrote several books, traveled all over the world and spoken. And I remember telling this story about his son, Randy. And he said, Randy was about five years old. And Randy came to him one Sunday after church. That, that Sunday in church, there was a, a couple teenagers that had got baptized and, and he'd watched them be baptized and accept Christ as their savior. And and so when they came home, Randy said, Dad, can I talk to you for a second? And he said, Dad, 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 I want to, I want to become a Christian. I want to be baptized. And, and said, you know, said, my first thought was, was pride. My son wants to make a decision. And then began to think, well, you know, is, he's only five years old. Is he old enough? And, and so, so he said, okay, Randy, well, why do you want to become a Christian? He said, he said, because I love Jesus and I want to spend, I want to, I want to spend my eternity in heaven with Jesus. Satan says he began to kind of swell with a little bit of pride. Great answer. Man, this kid's sharp. He's just like, just, just like his dad, he's sharp. And, and, and then the next question he asked him, I said, well, okay, Randy, uh, what well, well, do you know what Jesus did for you? And. And Randy, without hesitating, said, yes, Dad, he went to the cross. And he died on the cross. And three days later, God rose him from the dead. And Staten says, I was just swelling with pride at that moment. And I'm thinking, man, this is good. This this boy has caught it all, hasn't he? And finally, Staten says, I asked him I ask him one more question. I said, okay, Randy, if, if you become a Christian, what are you going to change? What are you going to change? And Randy looked at him and he said, oh, Dad, oh, Dad, I won't change a thing. And Satan said, I knew then he wasn't quite ready to become a Christian, because Jesus always requires change. Did you catch that? I I don't know that we want to hear it. Well, let me speak for myself. I don't know that I want to hear that. I I don't know that I want to understand that Jesus is oftentimes calling me to change. I, I don't want... Him to challenge my heart to be different than what I want it to be. I I like how I am. I like things staying the same, and I I don't want to change. But Jesus always required change. We we looked uh, uh, here recently uh, about the woman uh, the at the well, the Samaritan woman, and ultimately Jesus challenged her because he wanted her to change. The next chapter, Matthew chapter nineteen, he speaks with a rich young ruler, and and he asked this guy. He basically just wanted, hey, what do I need to do to follow you? And, and Jesus said, you need to change. Go sell everything you have that, that really is is demanding your life and giving. that's what your life is giving you. Go sell it and give it away and follow me. The woman called an adultery. He said, go and sin no more. He required change. In John chapter 4, when Nicodemus came in and said, "said, said I, I I want to know about this kingdom, Jesus said to him, well, you've got to be born again. And then Jesus described what that meant. But really he was saying, you've got to change. To the paralytic that was dropped through the ceiling, Jesus told him, Get up and take your mat. He required change. The man who had many demons and, and, and no one could control him, Jesus told him, stay where you are and tell about what's happened to you. He required change. When you read Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus talks about anger, about lust, about marriage, about revenge, about enemies, about giving, about prayer, about worry, about judging others. And you know what He requires every time on all of those topics? And that probably had to hit one of you. He required change. It's not surprising then when Jesus wants to teach his disciples a lesson about having the right attitude about themselves, about the kingdom, and and about what was most important that he said, change. Here's the problem. Change is scary. None of us like change. Man, no one likes change. You you moms who... Who watched your children graduate from eighth grade and now they're going over to the high school? You don't like change. Your moms that saw your your your, your precious babies graduate from high school and now they're going to head off to college or the military or or who knows where? Man, that's scary. Change. Oh man, I don't know if I like that. They graduated college and now they become adults. Now the one really scared there are the college graduates. Whoa, no, I got to be a grown up. We don't like change because change is scary and. And, and I'm probably the biggest one of that. I like things to stay exactly the way they are. Read. I'm going to let I'm going to let you uh, illustrate this for me perfectly. Uh, and I'm not going to I'm not making fun of her, I'm just going to show you how smart she is. W- when I go to places to eat, I always get the same things, don't I? When I go to Red Lobster, what do I get? Walt's favorite fried shrimp. How many? More times 18, but you know, that's, because uh, I always think I'll take some home, <laughs> and I never do. Um, when I go to Willie's in Atchison, what do I get? Southwest Chicken or Tenderloin. If we go to Lopez in Atchison, I get Rancherito. <laughs> oh, you can't beat a Rancherito at Lopez. Every so often, I get that other, I can't think of the other thing, but I haven't got it in a long time, so I always get the same stuff. Tanya got to witness this a couple weeks ago. I called... Uh, I was making reservations for our our mission trip uh, in July, and I called the motel in um, the, the Comfort Inn and Suites in Roswell, New Mexico, where we stayed last year. Now, I always like to stay in the same motel. Last year we didn't. was the first year at that motel because the one I used to stay at, it stayed at for years, closed down. <laughs> so I had to find a new one. So so I actually found a better one. So I, I called, and the lady I need to talk to wasn't there. And I got looking online, and, and it looked like there wasn't very many rooms available. And I'm like, what is going on? And so, so I Googled Roswell, events in Roswell, and, and guys, you know what's going on uh, July 7th, 8th, and 9th in Roswell, New Mexico? It is the Alien Festival. Thousands of weirdos will descend on Roswell that week in July. And I'm freaking out. Cause I know some of us will fit right into that, but, but I'm freaking out because we always stay in Roswell. It's the, 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 it's the perfect spot. We're, we're 210 miles from El Paso, about three and a half to four hours. It's, it makes for a long, it's, it's the perfect spot. And so I began to call around and I ended up finding rooms at this dump hotel that I'd stayed at the one time. And I thought, I'll never, it, in fact, I even asked a lady, I said, I got to ask you this. We stayed the one time and the pool was green. And I'm thinking, man, that's nasty. And then I got thinking later, no, they dyed it green for the aliens. I asked her and she said, well, I'm not saying we did that. She said, it's hard to keep the pool clean in Roswell. And so I'm like, I don't want to stay there. So I'm thinking, where are we going to stay? Because I don't like change. Now, we're lucky. The lady called back and we were a good customer last year. We've got rooms at the Comfort Inn and Suites. Just uh case when you wear your cowboy boots and shorts with your belt with your pliers on them, you're going to fit right in. Just put like a little helmet on or something. I mean... They'll, they'll think you're there for the convention. So, uh, here's, here's the thing. I don't, I don't like change. And see, see, they thought they had a figure. They, they thought they knew who Jesus was. And they thought they knew what his kingdom was. And they thought they knew what was most important. And Jesus ultimately said, you've got to change your thinking. You've got to change. And change is scary. Change requires Change requires sacrifice it doesn't come easy sacrificing the the known for the unknown, the familiar for the unfamiliar, the comfortable for the uncomfortable, the natural for the unnatural, the easy for the difficult uh, change is is going to require from us change will require from us sacrifice and when Christ calls us to become like a child and have the mindset of a child we'll talk a little bit more a little bit later about what that really means it will require it will require sacrifice and change requires self-examination see it's easy if if all we have to do is just keep doing what we're doing and don't even look don't even think about hey hey lord do you want me to do something different do you want me to have a different attitude but if we're going to be great in his kingdom it requires requires us to look at ourselves. last sunday afternoon uh we were doing what a lot of you are doing you know going from uh, uh, site to site for graduation parties and and we ended up going to, to, uh, uh Shanna's house where she was hosting Madeline's, uh, graduation party. And so, so we, we hung out around, we were getting ready to leave and, and we'd said, hey, hey, we're gonna, I think we're gonna take off. And Madeline came up to Rita and I and she says, hey, can I get a picture with you? Can I get a picture? Hey, oh, you didn't ask to take a picture with me and Rita. Why's that? I, I'm a little, I'm, I'm a little hurt. But, of course, actually I'm thinking, really? Why do you want a picture with us? But, but, but as soon as she said that, and, and up on, on Shannon's Hill, it was wind, it was a beautiful afternoon, but the wind was blowing, and, and one of us, when she said that, one of us said, talking to Rita one of us said, Oh, I need to check my hair. <laughs> I'm not going to say which one it was. <laughs> I haven't said that since about 1981, I think. Um, but, uh, but Rita's thir- first thought for, was, I need to check my hair. now, now, now I'm not saying that back because the truth is, most of you people, women and men alike, if you have hair, you probably think the same thing. Picture, I, you know, I want to make sure my hair's not a mess. Now, she didn't have it, but had Madeline or, or Shanna had a big old, big old mirror set up there, I'm sure Rita would have went over and, yes, she would have, and she would have, I might have went over and, you know, rubbed the shiny spot off or something, but but we're, we're required if we're going to be great and if we're going to change then it requires examination. See, if you want to be great in the kingdom, if you want to be great in God's eyes, if you want to be uh, be great as a follower of Christ, then you have to examine yourself. You you have to look at yourself. It's really what Jesus. He, he pulled that kid up there and said, "Okay, you've got to you've got to change and become like a child." And it requires us looking and saying, "Okay, Lord, what what is that? What do I need to change?" And then he really kind of goes on and. I guess fleshes it out a little bit or tells us what it is because he said greatness requires, greatness requires humility. Therefore, verse four, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like a child. Now, now I know some of you are thinking, well, kids aren't always perfect and kids aren't always the humblest. Kids aren't always uh, the easiest to get along. John Botner in his book, Uncommon Graces, tells this story. It's about, uh, It's called the the Toddler Property Laws. And this is what it says. I bet some of you have been through this before. It says this, If I like it, it is mine. If it is in my hand, it is mine. If I take it from you, it is mine. If I had it a little while ago, it is mine. If it is mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. If I'm doing something or building something, all the pieces I need are mine. If it looks just like mine, it's mine. If I think it's mine it's mine. Last Saturday morning we celebrated our, our youngest grandson Cohen's first birthday party and, and, and so when the time came to open the gifts they set him on the floor with all these gifts around him and, and his three year old brother Reed uh, hovering nearby and they began to open the gifts. Well Cohen is only one year old and he, he really wasn't opening the gifts very quickly so Reed helped him. Well let me put it this way, Reed opened all the gifts I think basically for him but with each gift my son Caleb would say to Reed, Reed whose gift is this? Reed, whose toy is this? He never had to say that with the clothes, but, but he said, Reed, whose toy is this? And he would make Reed say, it's Cohen's. But he had his fingers crossed, I think, because he's thinking, man, I'm gonna, I'm gonna play with this stuff, and Cohen is barely crawling, so he can't catch me. Uh, but the truth is, sometimes as kids, were, you know, kids aren't perfect, but, but we're to have a childlike a childlike humility which is seen in childlike faith. See, it's seen in childlike faith. There were some boys that were arguing one day over whose dad was the greatest. And one little boy said, well, my dad's a doctor. He said, I can get sick for nothing. Another little boy said, well, my dad owns a restaurant. I can eat for nothing. And third little boy said, well, my dad's a preacher. I can be good for nothing. Uh, <laughs> But the faith of a child. He says we have to be humble if we want to be great. We have to be humble, and and humility has a childlike faith. I, I was probably about seven years old, maybe eight, and my brother was two and a half years older. So so he was nine and a half or ten somewhere in that neighborhood, and and we were playing basketball in our driveway with with a uh, with a friend. Uh, Tom Chapman lived a couple blocks over. He was my brother's age, and we were playing basketball. And I don't know what happened, Tom. Tom was a know-it-all, and uh, and I think I was a know-it-all, and that doesn't go well together sometimes. But something happened, and an argument ensued, and we got mad at one another. The bad deal was that Tom Tom was uh, uh, basically an only child. He had an older brother that was long gone, uh, graduated high school, long gone, and and so he was like an only child. There were six of us, so we didn't have much nice stuff. And Tom had a brand new basketball. And he got mad and basically was going to take his basketball and go home. And so I think we hollered at him because of that. And and finally we started going back and forth. And I don't know who said it first, but one of us said, well, my dad can beat your dad up. Have you ever said that? you ever gotten that kind of argument? The, and so the response, automatic response is, no, violence will never settle anything. No, it was, was well, no, my dad can beat your dad up. And we went back and forth like that for a while. Now, I'll be honest. Uh, my dad and, and Tom's dad were friends, and they weren't ever going to fight but my dad could have taken him. (laughs) His dad's name was Junior. Now, I I never knew what his real name was, Junior, but no one ever called him Junior. They called him Chatty. If your dad can't beat up a guy named Chatty Chapman, uh, you're you're in trouble. And Chatty Chapman kind of looked a little bit like, I don't think, did you ever meet Chatty? It looked a little bit like Barney Fife. So if your dad can't eat, beat up Barney Fife, even if he has a bullet in his pocket, I, and, and so I was fairly confident we, we were getting the argument right that, 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 that our dad could beat up his dad. Now that's faith. I, I don't know if my boys ever did that. Oh man, I hope if they did, they made sure they picked the kid who, whose dad looked like Barney Fife and, and not some dude that was 6'4 and ripped or something like that. But, but the reality is it, it shows a faith ill ill founded and 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 childish and shouldn't think that way necessarily, but a a simple faith if you want to be great, you need to humble yourself in your faith see a faith that's not in yourself or in your accomplishments or in your talents, but a faith that's in the father, my dad, boy my dad, and when we have that kind of faith, it leads to 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 a greatness. Uh, see, childlike faith, to having having that humbleness, a childlike faith. We we need to have childlike forgiveness as well. Man, kids, kids can forgive. That day we were we were debating on whose dad would spar better against the other dad. The next day we were at Tommy's house playing baseball and trading baseball cards. The argument of the day before was long gone and forgotten. What kids Kids can forgive. Kids have a humility that, ah, it's over, I'm going to move on. Adults, when did we lose that? Because I'm just going to guess. Maybe I'm wrong. I'm just going to guess there's someone here today that's holding on to some anger and some bitterness and some frustration. There's someone in your life, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a co-worker, maybe it's a neighbor across the the alley. I bet there's someone here that's holding on to some anger and some frustration that you just need to give up and let go of and forgive like a child. See, a child has the humility that, you know what, I'm going to let go of those things. And finally, let's just kind of finish with this thought. Um, boy, when, when we're humble, we, it leads to greatness because we follow like a child. We follow. Like a child. My, uh, my grandfather was in the hospital was years ago, and we, we were home. I don't know if it was for Thanksgiving or, or when it was, but we had, we'd gone home and we went out to my, my grandparents, um, for, for lunch. And when lunch was over, we were all gonna drive to the hospital. It was, at, the hospital was in Centre, Illinois, uh, St. Mary's Hospital. And I, I had been there years and years before, but I, I didn't know how to get there. And, and, and so as we left, mom says, and, and she had grandma in the car, mom says, I'll drive to the hospital. So, so we, and mom, uh, and grandma in her car, and then my, my, my brother-in-law and sister check, uh, check and buck, <laughs> Beck and Chuck, uh, in the next car, and then there was, there, there was one of my, my sister and her husband, and then somewhere down the line was Rita and I in our car, and we, we headed into Central, and we turned down a street, and then another, street. And, and then we came to another street, and we turned, and, and as we got to that street and turned, I, I saw as we got there, there was a there was a sign. It was as big as could be with an arrow that was pointing that way. But Mom had turned that way. And, and Beck and Chuck, right after Mom, and Chuck worked in Mount Vernon, had been, or in, in Centralia, had been there many times. I know he knew the streets, but he turned and followed Mom. And my brother or sister turned and followed Mom. And We got there, and I'm like, it's the wrong way. It's a one-way street. But I turned. And followed mom too. I, I, I remember when we got to the hospital, we were all laughing at mom because she went down a one, one way street the wrong way. And, and I looked at my brother Chuck, or my brother in law Chuck, who was a state patru, uh, patrolman in Illinois at the time, and I said, Chuck, Chuck, you went down the one way street the wrong way. Why did you do that? And he simply said, Well, I was following your mom. You know, uh, this illustration breaks down a little bit because when we follow, when we follow Christ, we're, we're never going to go down a one-way street the wrong way. We're not going to make mistakes. But sometimes we just have to follow. We don't know where he's going. It may seem like the wrong way. It may seem like uh, the, the, the farthest way to get there. It may seem like there'd be better ways to do it. But we just follow. That's what humility does. So, so how can I be great? How can I be great? His disciples, his disciples want Jesus to, to number them. Peter, you're number one and you're number two and you're number three and, and on down. He, they, they wanted to be assigned a, a role and a place. And Jesus flipped it upside down. He says, well, if you want to be great, change. If you want to be great, be humble. Father, we thank you this morning that your gospel is simple that your gospel is uh, is, is actually uh, not very, uh, doesn't make much, much sense sometimes and seems opposite of what others are doing and, and opposite of what we want to do. But Father, we thank you that your gospel leads us to you and that you've called us to change in our heart. You've called us to be humble. And Father, you've called us not to prioritize what the world does, but to look at a, a, a small child and simply have that kind of attitude and that kind of faith to approach you. Lord, help us this morning look at ourselves and examine ourselves and see the areas that you require us to change. Lord, give us the humility to trust in you to do it. In Jesus' name, amen.